Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. Man, what a great time of worship. It was incredible. You know, we were singing uh, Revive Me, that song, and Scripture came to mind, you know, where it talks about, Lord, I'd be glad to just give you everything. Spend all that I am. You'd be glorified. And, I, and I, it reminded me of a, of a Scripture Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, in verse uh, 15, he said, I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. And uh, just, just really giving your heart out to the Lord, everything that you have. You know, and, and that, is the, that is the call to Christian. It is the call for every one of us. And actually, that's kind of what we're going to talk about this morning. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 20. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll make sure you get one. Matthew chapter 20. If you're a guest with us this morning, again, we want to welcome you. If uh, uh, We have a welcome packet for you. You can pick up right at the welcome center, right directly outside of the doors of the sanctuary. So make sure you stop by and grab one of those. Just contains some information about who we are, what we believe, and whatnot. So you can check that out. We also want to uh, welcome our online audience or anybody that's listening via podcast uh, this morning or through our website at a later time. Um, Stand with me, if you would, please, and we're going to begin by reading our text, Matthew chapter 20, this morning. Before we get into it, though, we do want to just acknowledge our mothers here in this room this morning. Uh, Listen, at the end of the day, the world would not be in operation, and that's an obvious statement without mothers, but but the reality is, is moms, it's such a thankful job, such a thankless job, I should say, and... um, we are so thankful for every mother that is just pouring into your kids and just nurturing them up in the ways of the Lord. And, you know, we just want to honor you this morning. We want to thank you for your service, man. And, and just, you know, it's a calling by God that you have. And it's, it's an incredible calling because you have, uh, you know, the, God has instilled in you, only you, the ability to nurture your kids in, in, in a certain way. Only mothers can do that. You know, dads aren't so much good at, the gentle, nurturing, bringing up kind of side, but some are, but I'm just saying stereotypically, you know, which that's what we do here, stereotype people, so, no, but, but stereotypically, you know, the, the, the man is not really good at it, but moms, there's nothing like a mom when a child is hurt or when they need nurturing, and so, you know, because we're created in God's image, that's both sides of the coin of who God is. He's a nurturing, loving, gentle, caring, uh, you know, father, but he's also a, 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 you know, a bold and, and brash and, you know, man up kind of father as well. And so he's both in that, and, and the picture of mother father is the complete picture of God. So we want to honor our moms this morning. And would you just join in and prayer with me for our moms? Because they have such a tough job. Let's just pray for our moms this morning. Father, we thank you so much for every mother that is standing in this room this morning. Lord, we're so thankful for them. Lord, you have instilled in them and equipped them and given them giftings that only a mother can have. We thank you for them. God, we ask for blessings upon them as we honor them this day. Lord, that you just truly be glorified through their lives. And Lord, that you just, as we even sang this morning, revive, Lord, re-nourish, Lord, uh, reinvigorate the moms in this room, Lord, to Help them to understand just what an important job they have and how thankful we are for them. So we lift all our moms up to you, Lord. We ask for your spirit to just be poured out on them even now. 
you would just blow a fresh wind of fire in them, Lord. We thank you. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, Matthew chapter 20. We're going to pick it up in verse 17 here. Where it says, And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside. And on the way he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will be condemned uh, to death, and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. And the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, What do you want? She said to him, Say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in the kingdom. Jesus answered, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, We are able. And he said to them, You will drink my cup. But to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those whom it has been prepared by my Father. And then the ten heard it, and when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercised authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And Lord, we ask now as we have your word open that you speak directly into our hearts right where we are. You know how distant we are or how, how near we are to you this morning. Lord, you know uh, the, the way that we've been living. You know everything about us and yet you still love us. And your love isn't any greater for one person in this place than another. You love us all with an incredible love. Lord, may we be transformed this morning as we consider what it is that Jesus would teach his disciples in this passage. He's speaking to us this morning. We ask that you would just shape us now and make us more like him, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. If you haven't been with us or you just haven't been paying attention, that can happen, you know. Happens to me sometimes. I forget what, what we're doing, but... On Sunday mornings, we're studying the life and the ministry of Jesus in chronological order, and we find ourselves here in the timeline of his ministry just a few short months away from the cross. We've been saying that, but Jesus is set his face towards Jerusalem. He's trending towards Jerusalem, and today we see that he is, he is set. He's walking now towards Jerusalem. He is about to be slain for the sin of the world. Listen, he knew that his departure was imminent, and so Jesus is now these last few months of his life pouring into his disciples. And the thing that he's teaching them are kingdom principles. He's pouring into them, you know, how to be a citizen of the kingdom of God and not a citizen of the kingdom of the world. He's really telling them, look, in order for you to understand, you can start living this way now. In fact, I'm calling you to that. As a citizen of heaven, as a child of God, you are now called to a different way of living. You're not to live the way that you've been living. You're, you're to tr be transformed. And, and the only way that you can be transformed, the Word of God tells us, is what? By the renewing of your 
mind. It's by the word of God. It's by Jesus' words alone. And so Jesus starts to pour into his disciples about kingdom principles. The one that we have before us today is one that I think that in the church, people kind of maybe shy away from. Because it's talking about being great in the kingdom. Kingdom greatness, that's the title of my message. Now, we don't talk about being great in the kingdom because that's taboo in the church. We don't want to be great. We want Jesus to be great. But in so doing that, we, pl- we downplay the call that God has on our life. I have a friend who may or may not be in this room that has talked to me many times about this idea of, you know, how church members, you know, just don't seem to be on fire for the Lord. It just seems like, you know, we come in the door, we go out the door, and, and it's the same old thing, and we don't really do much, you know, it doesn't seem like people are engaged. Well, what is the deal with that? There's no ambition. And Jesus today will say, listen, don't be a Christian that it's good enough for you to just get in by the skin of your teeth. Literally, press forward. Be ambitious. Now that word, ambitious, doesn't, you know, it's, it's again, it's one of those words we don't want to talk about in church because the Bible says, do nothing in selfish ambitions. Well, that's not That doesn't say don't be ambitious. It says don't be selfish in your ambition. There's a difference. Who are you doing it for? To what glory are you doing it for? Jesus wants you to be great in the kingdom of God. And that's what he wants. He wants his disciples to be great in the kingdom of God. That takes ambition. It takes drive. It takes focus. And if you're not doing that, then at the end of the day, you'll just be you know, run-of-the-mill, uh, you know, just lucky to get into heaven, kind of. You know, not that it's by our works, but again, you know, the idea is that we press on towards the goal. Paul talked about it a lot. As an athlete would press towards the, the race, the finish line, with everything that he's got, that he would thrust his arms out at the goal line. That's how we're called to live the Christian life. Anybody with me? Do we want to live that way? Of course we do. So Jesus says, let me show you how. Let me show you how to be great in the kingdom of God. And it's completely opposite than the way that the world would have us do it. The way that this conversation even started was a rich young ruler came to Jesus in in Matthew chapter 19. He started to ask him, what must I do, Jesus, to gain an eternal life? And Jesus told him, well, the short answer of it is, is, well, there's nothing you can do, but just follow me. Leave everything and follow me. You must be willing to commit your whole self to me. Not part of you, but all of you. So he tells him, go sell everything that you have and, and come follow me because that was his God. Jesus won't, won't allow you to serve someone else by calling yourself a Christian. doesn't work that way. You can't serve two gods. You can serve one God. And he's calling you to serve him. The, the, the one and true living God. And so... Peter and, and, and the, the gang are sitting there listening to this, this conversation happening and the light bulb goes on and they say, hey, wait a second, we've left everything. What do we get? That's where all of this comes from and Jesus spent a little bit of time you know, uh, dealing with it. But, but one, the, his direct answer to Peter in Matthew chapter 19 verses 28 through 30, he said this, truly I say to you, in the new world, When the Son of Man will sit on His glorious throne, you who have followed Me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Oh, that sounds great. 
Yes, Lord, let's do it. I love the idea of me sitting on a throne judging people. I can't wait for that, Lord. Let's dig into that a little bit more. Let's talk a little bit about more about me. That's what happens. But Jesus told them there is a reward for following. You will be rewarded. He said even up to a hundredfold. You'll be rewarded for what, what, what you do here in this life. However, he says, but the caveat at the end of his conversation here in verse 30, but many who are first will be last in the last verse. What he was saying is, as it relates to salvation, we all get there the, the same way. It's by grace through faith. It has nothing to do with works. But as it relates to works, you will be rewarded. There's a reward for those things. You will have a throne to sit on. You will have, you know, you'll, you'll judge with Jesus Christ in the millennial kingdom. And the disciples love to hear that. Maybe you, hear, you love to hear that as well. Yeah, I want, I love the idea of me being great. Except like, like uh, one of the bodybuilders that uh, uh, Ronnie Coleman used to say, everybody wants to be a bodybuilder, but nobody wants to lift heavy weights, right? Everybody wants to be great in, in, in the heaven, but nobody wants to do the work that's required. That's the reality. Jesus said, listen, you want to be great, there's a cost. God has prepared you for something. Every person in this room, he has prepared you for a level of greatness in the kingdom. Are you meeting it? Are you living it out in your life? Are you really being who he's called you to be? Listen, we'll see in here that not everybody, not, it doesn't look all the same for every single person. The cup that you have to drink may be different than the cup that I have to drink, but we should all be shooting for the prize which is Christ, that he would be glorified. Jesus gives us the principle that we have to live by as it relates to kingdom greatness. And it's in, we read it already. It's, I'm not giving you anything away. I'm not the kind of guy that's going to blow the movie before it's ended. But I am going to give you the end because it's important that we build upon the principle as we work through the scripture. Here's the principle. Chapter 20, verse 26 through 28. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even if the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. It is for the whoever woulds. That principle is for the whoever woulds. That means you that means me, and it means ambition, it means effort, it means something that we need to step into. Yes, it's all done for us, and Christ did it all. You know, God prepared us for good works that we should walk in them. All of that's done, but you have to step into it. This is an exhortation this morning of rising up. He has called us higher. He's called us deeper. He wants us to do things for him here on earth. And here's the thing, you're rewarded for it in heaven. Does that just blow your mind? That he gives you the ability to do everything and he, and he does it all for you, but then you get some reward for it. That just is crazy, incredible. Listen, the way that you and I become great in the kingdom of God is not by elevating ourselves, it's by becoming less. It's not by becoming more powerful in stature, but it's becoming more powerful in influence. That's what he's talking about here. 
He's not saying, well, you, if you, you know, rise up the, the kingdom ladder and you're able to, you know, meet these certain goals, well, then you get to be on, you know, you get to fl from flipping burgers to fries and then, you know, who knows, you could be the manager one day. You never know. No, he's saying the reality is, is you want to be great, you serve, you become less. You decrease that he might increase. That's the principle. That's what he wants to build upon. Kingdom greatness is found in one place. Listen carefully. Others. It's found in others. We become great by sacrificing and serving others. It's no wonder people don't strive to be great. Because it requires me to abandon myself. I have to serve other people. And you know how other people are. Well, oh man, they're just real difficult. And you know, Jesus said, listen, if you want to you want to be great, you've got to serve. You've got to become a slave. You know how you're doing that, right? You know how you can tell if you're really doing that in your life when people treat you like one. When people treat you like a servant. When people treat you like a slave. Then you know you're really doing it right. Lord, praise God they're treating me this way. That's not the way we look at it, but that is the truth. Praise God that you're doing it that way to the point that you would become like Jesus. Jesus is the greatest example of, of this principle. He was a servant of all. He gave himself, man, he humbled himself, Paul says in Philippians chapter 2. He's talking about, man, he, he, he emptied himself, he inserted himself into the timeline of mankind, and he said, I will become like them, and I will become to the lowest form. I will become a worm, the Old Testament says. And that worm would be pinned to a tree, he would bleed and die for you and I. That's how much he loves us. That's how much of a servant Jesus was to the point of death. I would venture to say that none of us have died yet for Christ, but he died for you. Are you willing to step into the role that God is calling you to today? Kingdom greatness. Listen, it's not by, you know, might or power it's by a willingness to submit to the Spirit of God and walk out where He leads you. That's why I love these songs this morning, talking about stepping into the role that God has called you by the Spirit. It's by the Spirit of God that we do anything that we do here. Jesus Christ set you free from the bonds of sin and death, and He instilled the Holy Spirit inside of you so that you could live in power and that you could step into the role that He's created you to be uh, by His Spirit, not by your ability, because you and I have no ability to do any of this in and of ourselves. It's amazing when Jesus asks the question, are you able, that they say, yeah. Really? Are you really able? It blows my mind that people will be more ambitious about something that is temporary than something that's eternal. People will spend their lives trying to make something great out of their life here, all the while spending no time focusing on eternity, which, that's just, I'm sorry, stupid. That doesn't make sense. Why would you invest in something that's temporal that's going to fade away in 75 years or whatever it might be? From the day that you're born. Why wouldn't you invest in eternity? Doesn't it make sense? If somebody walked up to you today and they said, listen, I have a deal for you. I've got Apple stock at 13 bucks a share. How many do you want to buy? None? Are you insane? It's a sure thing. And yet people 
That's the comparison. We have heaven. We have eternity. We have something so much greater than this life, and yet people will pour themselves into this life and leave nothing for eternity. But I got in. But I got in by the skin of my teeth. Well, praise God for that. But how sad that you didn't invest in the kingdom. Listen, there is a growing, uh, you know, current in our culture today about serving. There's a, there's a generation that is raising up right now that is the most selfish generation. I, I don't know if that's ever existed because there's lots of selfish generations, but this generation coming up in the world today is so selfish that they want to be served. No, just give me, just give me this stuff. I, I should just get stuff because I am who I am, of course. Uh, I'm surprised you didn't know that. You don't know who I am, right? Well, here's the deal. Where does that come from? It's a cultural shift. We're saying, hey, everybody gets a trophy. Everybody gets, you know, everybody gets to be treated the same. There is no reason to be ambitious because our culture says that it doesn't pay off. Why would I want to be ambitious? Why would I want to strive to be the best? Because everybody gets the same anyway. It shouldn't surprise us that our culture is this way because the Bible said it would be so. It said in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, but understand this, that in the last days there will, be, there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, Disobedient to their parents, amen, no. Ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unpeaceable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. Now, why would he say that? Avoid such people. This is, this, is, this is instructive, it's corrective, and he's saying avoid such people because Paul would also say in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, bad company ruins good morals. You become like the people you hang out with. Young people, listen up. The real, that is a reality. He's saying pick your friends wisely. Pick them wisely, Zoe. Yes, I've told you that. You become like those you hang out with. Listen, we're living in, in, a, in a culture that has lost complete, has completely lost compassion, completely lost empathy. There is no uh, anything, any view of other people. It's all about me. And the culture is catering to that. Don't be people that cater to that. Don't cater to that culture. Don't, don't do that with your kids. Don't allow them to... to, 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 to you know, basically just sit on the sidelines but get the trophy. Oh, I participated, but you didn't do anything. Listen, you want to be a starter, you got to press in. you gotta, you got to want to win. There needs to be some ambition. Teach that into your children because that will fall into the rest of their life. That Those things that you instill today will, will guide them the rest of their life. Greatness comes in the form of sacrifice and serving others. There, there's three things I want to show you here in the text this morning relating to kingdom greatness. The first is, listen to this, kingdom greatness comes by way of difficult ascent. 
Kingdom greatness comes by way of difficult ascent. It's a hard road to the top in the kingdom. Look at verse 17. And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside, and on the way he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem. And then he, he tells them that he's going to be delivered over, and, and we'll get into that in a second. The ascent to Jerusalem was not an easy travel, folks. It wasn't an easy journey. It didn't, didn't matter what direction you came from. Jerusalem is up from everywhere. And it's not a, a, a simple, you know, easy up. It's 4,000 feet. It's 3,000 feet in elevation. Uh, it, Jesus is coming from uh, Bethany beyond the Jordan. He's going to come through Jericho. The elevation of Jericho is 800 feet below sea level. So he's going to climb 4,000 feet in 18 miles to get to Jerusalem. Now listen, I've been there. And, and traveling around, you know, that area. And looking at these, what they would call... Uh, maybe we would call them uh, mountains in Tennessee, but they're not mountains where I'm from. But they're big. I mean, you, when you're rising two or 3,000 feet in elevation, that's a big deal. And I thought to myself, dude, how difficult it would be to, to walk up to Jerusalem. And, and remember, they did this yearly as, as the, you know, the, the feast would come. The, there was three feasts they were, males were required to be at. They would have to journey to Jerusalem. It wasn't an easy road. Not only that, but they would have bandits on the road that they would, it was dangerous and it was difficult. And yet Jesus had something far greater as far as difficulty waiting for him when he got to Jerusalem. He was saying that there was a cross waiting for him. He would tell his disciples, you'll see, see we're going to Jerusalem. I think he said that to them uh, because he wants them to understand what he says comes true. He's just training them. Did God ever do that to you? Like just real simple stuff. Like, hey, pick that trash up. And you're like, me? You know, you're looking around thinking he's pointing to somebody else. But he, he's talking to you. You're the only one that can hear the voice. Anybody else hear that? He's talking to you? Oh, you want me to do it. And he just is training you to hear his voice. Jesus is training his disciples right here to hear his voice. He's saying, what I say comes true. See? We're going up to Jerusalem. I can imagine them, you know, much like I am. I'd be like, well, yeah, us and like ten, tens of thousands of other people are going up to Jerusalem right now because it's, it's Passover time. Of course, we're going up to Jerusalem, Jesus. But Jesus' purpose is different. Jesus is telling them, see, we're going up to Jerusalem and my purpose is different. He's telling them that he has a special mission waiting for him. He's been talking to them about the cross already. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, 21 says this. From that time, from that, the time that was written, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. He had been telling them about his special mission. They didn't get it. They thought, you know, that their understanding of the Messiah coming was completely different than, than what Jesus was saying. So they, of course, aren't going to listen to Jesus. They're going to go with what they think. Ever done that before? How'd that work out for you? Probably not real good. We always want to go with what Jesus says, right? Not with, with what we think. Jesus said that the, the, the journey is tough to Jerusalem, yes, but it's far tougher for me because the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes and they will condemn him to death. You know that word delivered over literally means to be handed over? 
Now, you know the story. You know what happens. Jesus goes to Jerusalem. He's in the, 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 the night um, you know, of the upper room, the Last Supper, and he goes to the Mount of Olives, and they're praying there, and here comes his betrayer. It's one of his own. It's Judas. Jesus looks at Judas as Judas comes up with a band of soldiers behind him, and he says, friend, why have you come? Why have you come? And even at the Last Supper, as he was sitting there with Judas, he said, one of you guys will betray me. And they all denied, oh, not me, not me. And then Judas, Jesus looked at Judas and he said, go do what you've come to do. Go do what you've come to do. Jesus knew that he would be betrayed. How difficult would that be for you? The knowledge of knowing that one of your own family members, these guys are like family, of your own family members would turn you over to those people that want to crucify you. They want you dead. They would turn you over. How deep would that scar be? Would that wound go into your heart? It would be difficult. Yes, he's the son of God and God the son, but he still has feelings, man. You know, and he loves these guys. He understands the bigger picture. He understands that this has to happen, but it still doesn't hurt any less to know that you would be betrayed by one that you would be pouring into. So it says that he would be delivered over. Judas, we might think, man, what an evil guy to do that. Listen, you and I are highly capable of incredible darkness if we walk in the flesh. That's why it's so important that we guard our hearts. You can see, sit there and say, how could Judas do this? Be- because he was walking in the flesh. You can do it too if you're not careful. If you don't guard your heart with the word of God, you can find yourself in pits of darkness that you, you could have never imagined that you could get yourself there. Be careful about how you're walking. Judas delivered him over to those says not only would he be delivered over, but then he would be condemned. That word means to judge someone as guilty. He was being condemned by the very ones that ought to be looking to him for salvation, the religious leaders. They ought to have seen Jesus for who he was, and yet they were unwilling. And how the world is filled with religious people that love their religion more than they love God himself. God, protect us from being those kind of people. That we would love our religion more than we love our Savior. He goes on in detail of this deliverance. Notice he says, and he'll be delivered over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. Now, this is incredible because he would be condemned by the Jews who, by the way, had no authority to kill him. They were under Roman rule and so they didn't have the capacity to send him to the cross. They had to go through the Romans to do that. Now, they, they kind of shirk that at times. We see it in Acts chapter 7 where they kill Stephen. They just start stoning him and kill him. They didn't have the authority to do that, but sometimes they did. But in this case, because Jesus is so high profile, they have to get the Romans involved. In order to make this happen, they have to have... And so there's all kinds of coercion going on behind the scenes and, and you know, 
the religious leaders meeting with the Roman leaders. It, it had to have happened that way. For them to, you know, they, they, were, they were sowing deceit and they were, they were uh, you know, planning the crucifixion of Jesus far before it happened. And it says that he, he would be turned over to the Gentiles because the, the, the Jews didn't have the capacity to do it. Otherwise, they would have just done it already. But they couldn't. They didn't have the power to do that. And he would be treated with great contempt by the Gentiles, by the Romans. Listen, they beat Jesus beyond recognition. It was prophesied that way that he would do that. They, he, was, he was flogged nearly to death by the flagellum, the thing just ripping his back apart as they just slashed into him 39 times. 39 times just ripping his back apart. And then they would put a thorn of, a crown of thorns on his head. They would give him a reed as a staff and they would put this, this blue, this purple garment upon him and, and bow down to him. Oh, you're the king of the Jews, mocking him. Taking that reed from him and just slamming that thorn, uh, those thorns into his forehead. He was treated so brutally. And yet the worst was still yet to come. He, Jesus says he would be crucified. This is savage in the truest sense of the word. To be crucified. They would take Jesus. They would give him a patibulum, which is the crossbar of the, of the cross, and they would say, here's 125 pounds. I know you're sleep-deprived and you've just been beaten nearly to death, but here, take this 125 pounds and you, you carry it some couple miles up the Via, Via Della Rosa over to the Golgotha, the, the place of a skull there. And when you get there, we will stretch out your arms on that patibulum and we will drive seven-inch spikes through your wrists and when we do that, it will sever your medial nerve, which will send shocks up your arms and will give you incredible pain. You'll lose all motor school, skill uh, capacity in your arms. We will fasten that to the stipend, which is the tree, the, the upright part of the, the, the cross, and we will fasten the patidium to it, and then we will take it and we will raise it up and we will slot it down into the hole where you just hang like that and all your weight goes down as it hits the bottom of the thing and all your joints come out. Your arms, your, your joints and your elbows and your shoulders and your wrists, they all come apart as you're stretched out. And then he would hang there for six hours and he would cry out for you and I, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus then at the end of six hours would give up the ghost and he would die for you and I. Now sometimes they would break the legs of the people to make that, more, uh, that process quicker. Sometimes people would li live for days on the cross. Jesus gave up the ghost in six hours willingly, fully in control when he did it. It is a brutal picture. 
And I don't know how you do with news. I don't know how you do with news that the doctor says, hey, you got cancer. Or news that the doctor says, hey, you have a medical condition. Uh, we're, we're not sure what it's going to work out to. I don't know how you deal with that kind of news. Doesn't it torment you? When you, think, when you know that you have something, there's nothing you can do about it, and you're just sitting waiting. And you know that it's there, you know it exists, and you know that it's going to manifest itself at some point. Yeah, it's difficult. Jesus knew this time was coming right here. And all the way to Jerusalem, he, was, he knew that he was going to the cross. And yet that didn't deter him. Because kingdom greatness is a difficult ascent, but it's not something we turn away from because it's hard. Listen, the Bible tells us that when we come to Christ, it's a narrow and difficult path. And it is. It is, and it's ridiculous for these guys to stand in pulpits to say, oh, come to Christ and you'll get everything you want and just name it, you know, whatever you want, just claim it in, in the name of Jesus and you'll have it. And, and yet the Bible says so much about the suffering of those who would come to Christ, who would live for Him, that they would suffer for it. It's a promise. Jesus says, in this life you will have what? Everything you want in Jesus' name. No, you will have persecution. You will suffer it's difficult. It's hard. Oh, that can't be. Listen, it is. It is. That is the truth. It's a difficult path. And if you're on that path today and you're finding yourself, you know, trudging towards Jerusalem, your heavenly Jerusalem, and you're taking every step and you're going, man, this is hard. Man, this is hard. You're on the right path. Amen? That's what Jesus was doing as he was making his way to Jerusalem. He knew the difficulty. He knew that he was on the right path. Kingdom greatness comes by way of difficult descent. Secondly, it comes through a cup of suffering. Verse 20, Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. I'm not sure what just happened, but here we go. She asked him for something. He said to her, What do you want? She said to him, Say that these two things Sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. Jesus said, you do not know what you're asking. You don't know what you're asking. Now, all this talk of thrones and stuff and is driving these disciples crazy because they know that there's going to be 12 thrones. Of course, the next logical thing for you to do is focus on which of those thrones is yours, right? I mean, of course you would do that. Who wouldn't? I mean, you know, there's 12 thrones and there's going to be, you know, we're going to judge over, over uh, Jerusalem, over, over uh, the, the Israelites and all that. So, of course, we care about what seat we sit in because in this culture, the further away from the, the, the teacher you got, the, the lesser you were. So, of course, we care about the right and the left hand of Jesus, those seats, you know, because we want to be great. <laughs> Isn't it amazing that on Mother's Day, we come to this passage that the mom would be put up to this by their own kids. The stuff you guys do for your kids is amazing. Only a mother would approach Jesus in this manner and say, would you give this to me, Jesus? Only a mom would do that. A dad would say, buck up, you need to earn it. You know, but a mom would say, of course I'll come ask for that, son. Of course I will. Now, you've got to understand, these guys are like the bikers 
of the disciples. Like they got, they got leather jackets that say Sons of Thunder on them in the back. And they roll up in their Harleys. And you know the other ten are looking at them like this and they're with their mom. They're like, what's up with your mom, man? You're with your mom. Wait a second. They're with their mom. They're going to talk to Jesus. What are they doing? They're going to, she's, she's talking to Jesus. What's she saying? And you know that's what they care about because there's 12 thrones. And there's 12 guys. And they care about those positions. And so James and John do what any normal human being would do. They put their mom up to it. To go, go in there and do it. Listen. Jesus doesn't even acknowledge her, really. He says, well, what, do you, what do you want me? You know, she, it, it's being kind. What, 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 do you, what would you like me to do? Another version of the Bible, another version of this story says, just give us what we want before we ask. Just say yes. Just say yes, Jesus, and we're good. Have your kids ever done that? I, I got to ask you this, mom and dad. Just say yes. Uh, okay. Yes? And the next thing you know, you just sold your soul to the devil. I don't know what happens, but something. <laughs> but, but she comes to him, and Jesus, you know, he, he, he acknowledges her. He says, what can I do for you? And she says, hey, uh, Jesus, I just know you love these guys so much. And I love them so much, too. I would just ask that you would give them the, the honor, you know, in your kingdom, that they would have the, the highest seats in your kingdom. Could you do that for me? He doesn't even look at her at that point. He turns to them and he says, you don't know what you're asking for. You don't know what you're asking for. Why? Because kingdom greatness comes through great suffering. That's why. You don't know what you're asking for. There is a cup of suffering that comes with greatness in the kingdom of God. And so Jesus turning to them just starts to, you know, speak to them. Hey, are you able? Now the obvious if God, please, if God ever asks you if you're able, say no. Just say no. No, I'm not able, but I know through you I can do all things. Amen? But, but I am not able. But these boneheads say, well, yeah, of course we're able. Now, I mean, I, I, I do believe that this made the top ten most stupid things people said to Jesus list. Of course, yours is higher on the list, but that's because it's you and not, you know, but, but, G, but here the disciples, man, they made the list. Of course we're able. Look at us. Man, we could call fire down from heaven, Jesus. You see our abilities? Man, we've been working hard for you. Now, here's what you don't, you may, you may not know about this whole situation. These are his cousins, and she is his aunt. The mother of James and John, Salome is the, is the sister of Mary. And James and John are the cousins of Jesus. So it's not just simply, uh, of course, you know who we are, Jesus. We're, we're great men who have, you know, we're in the inner circle and all that kind of stuff. We want to leave Peter out to the side because he's not one of us because we're blood, you know. All of us are blood, Jesus. You know, you know how people do that? Like blood is thicker than water thing and it, it doesn't matter whether it's right or wrong. We all stick together because we're family. That's not right. <laughs> That's what they're doing. Forget Peter, man. James, John, we're brothers and we're cousins, Jesus. So don't forget that in the kingdom, amen? I mean, that's what they're doing. And yet Jesus says, you're not able. He says, you will drink a cup. 
There is a cup prepared for you. I promise. But for to give this, I can't give it to you. Because it's not for me to give. It's something that the Father has ordained from the foundation of the world. Just as He's ordained those good works for you to walk in, He's ordained a seat for you to sit in in heaven. The question is, will you rise to it or not? That's really the question. Are you willing to take the steps? Will you drink the cup required to get to the seat that He prepared for you? Will you do it? That's what He's saying to these guys. Listen, I can't give you that which you're not created for. So oftentimes, you know, we're striving for something that God didn't create us to be. We're trying to fill some hole that we want to fill because it satisfies us in some way and yet God didn't create you to do that and you're just like, I don't get why it's so, why it's not working and, and you know, all this kind of stuff and why I'm not able to, because God didn't, didn't create you to do it. He didn't call you to do it and yet you're doing it on your own. He's asking you to, to, to just fit the slot that He created you for. Listen, every slot is good. Every slot is great. You're not going to be in heaven going, man, look what they got. How come I didn't get that? Come on, Jesus, why didn't I get, why, why don't I have those crowns? Why don't I get those jewels? And my, my, you know, you're not going to be worried about those things. I promise you. You're not going to be having discussions about who gets to sit at the right hand and the left hand of Jesus. None of that will matter at the end of the day. Because you'll be in His presence. And that will be far greater than anything. Uh, you can be uh, you know, like a little toddler in heaven banging pots and you'll be as happy as can be. And some of you guys will be you know, seated over cities and you know, people and you'll be ruling and reigning in certain areas and you're going to be happy as can be as well. Nobody's going to be disappointed in heaven. But here's the deal. God created you for something. He created you for something great because everything in heaven is great. Will you rise to it? Will you step into it? Understand, it will require suffering. It will require suffering. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 4, 13, 17, for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comp comparison. The, 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 the things that you're going through right now are just you know, getting... They're cutting off the things in your life that don't belong there. It's refining you. The sufferings that you're going through right, right now are making you more like Jesus. And in so doing these things, as you endure those things, as you walk through those difficulties, as you suffer like Christ suffered, you know, God is taking notes. And He's watching. And He cares about every tear that you shed. And He cares about every pain that you feel. And none of that will go unnoticed by him. But because we live in a fallen world, that is the reality for those who want to follow Christ. There is suffering that's required. Paul said in 2 Timothy 3.12, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. The greatest in the kingdom are the ones that have suffered the most for the sake of Christ. And I don't mean self-appointed suffering. There are people that ascribe to this weird theology that they can just suffer more for Christ and they get to be more glorious. And so they find ways to suffer for Christ. What a... Sorry, saps. I don't know what else to say. I mean, that, that's just really... I mean, <laughs> I don't get that. I, I got enough problems on my own 
like just trying to live my life for Christ today, I'm not looking for more suffering. Like I'm like, I just need to find a little bit more suffering because I don't feel great today. So let me uh, find some suffering so that I can feel more, more better about myself, you know? No, he has some suffering for you. Uh, you know, he, he's gonna, he, he doesn't create it, but he allows you to walk through certain things because he, that's how we take that scripture, Romans 8, 28, that how he uses everything, those sufferings for the good, for those who love him or called according to his purpose. He can use everything that you go through to shape you and make you more like Jesus. That's the point. Jesus said, listen, you're going to suffer. And of course, James would be the first to die of the 12 you know, apostles. He would be the first. He would be, you know, just, I think in Acts chapter 12, it tells us where he dies. And then John, John's cup is different than, than James's. John would suffer greatly. Uh, you know, he would be the last apostle to die, but he would suffer greatly for that. What an honor to be the last one to die for Christ, but boy, did he pay for it. They tried to boil him. They tried to kill him. He wouldn't die, but he went through all the suffering, and he ends up the last part of his life living on an island called Patmos where they would just put prisoners. It was just a big rock, and he would work the rock quarry all day long. God gave him the book of Revelation there. Sometimes... In the midst of your greatest suffering is when you have the greatest revelation. Sometimes you're, you know, when you are so pressing into God because you're so suffering that it's when God gives you something so deep, a nugget so big that you can't hardly even handle it. You're like, oh my gosh, what is this, Lord? Thank you. So listen, don't look for it in the midst of your suffering. God, what do you want to show me? Where's the revelation, Lord? Help me to get through this. Empower me to do it. Not only does kingdom greatness come by way of difficult ascent and through a cup of suffering, but lastly, kingdom greatness comes by a sacrificial service. Look at verse 24. And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers, but Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. And it shall be not so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life a ransom for many. Can you imagine how that went down with, with the ten? And James and John, they come back and they're like, hey, what's up, guys? What's up? You know what's up. Where you guys been? You know? Well, you guys been talking to Jesus, you selfish sons of Satan. I can't believe that you guys would go over to Jesus and that you would dare to ask him for those seats that belong to me. Now, how could you do that? I can't, you make me sick. You know, and the reason they feel that way is because they're, they're just mad that they didn't do it first. They wish they would have gotten over there first, but they all wanted the same thing. These guys were jealous. Man, they literally, they were indignant. They were so, they, they were enraged with anger at James and John for going to Jesus in this manner. Now, why would you be that way if you didn't want that position? It's because there's a jealousy there. I wanted that. I can't believe that you would do that. Jesus, man, he steps right into this, and he just goes, hold on a second, guys. Come on. Let's talk about authority in the kingdom. Let's talk about what it looks like. Let me contrast kingdom authority 
with earthly authority. You know the Gentiles, they lord authority over people. Now, in this culture, if you were a Roman soldier, you could walk up to anybody on the street and you could give them your bags and they were required to carry it for a mile. That's why Jesus said, don't just go one mile, go two. Blow their minds. But they had that kind of authority. They could just walk up to you and tell you to do whatever. When, when, when Simon was pulled out of the crowd to, to carry the patibulum for Jesus, he had no choice. It wasn't like he'd say, no, nah, I ain't doing that. Oh, you're doing it or you're going to be hanging right next to him. So these guys had incredible authority. Not only, not only just the Roman soldiers who were down here. Could you imagine those emperors and you know, the rulers, the governors and all that kind of stuff, the kind of authority they had. They had so much authority that they would have um, you know, they would kill people because they were threatened by them for their throne. They lorded their authority. They abused their authority. Jesus said, not, that will not be the way that you guys use your authority. Don't you dare do that. The kingdom authority is different than worldly authority. Kingdom authority is not necessarily come in the sense of power, but it comes in the sense of influence. Like, in other words, you know, you may not have a lot of authority in worldly terms, in your job or whatever, you know, you might, you might not have, you might not be able to make any decisions as it comes to, relates to people and all that kind of stuff, and yet, the way that you react to people, the way that you treat people, the way that you um, minister to people at your job gives you influence, and so when, when they're going through something really difficult and they need somebody that can help them, they're not going to the Who's got the most power in my job because that's who I need to go through. They have the authority to help me. They're looking for those people that they know can influence their life. They're looking for people that have, have spent time building a relationship with them that have been just tried and true, and it's not about authority, but it's about influence. So they, 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 they go to those people. This just happened to me. I had a guy call me out of the blue. Like, you know, two weeks ago, he said, hey, you know, I'm not going to give the circumstances, but he, he, he told me what happened, and, and he said, you're the, you're, the, you're the one person. I asked God for a sign, and I saw you post something on Facebook, and I knew God told me, there's your sign. And he called me up and told me the heartbreaking thing that was going on in his life, and I have no authority with this guy, but I have influence because I spend time pouring into him. I spent time ministering, you know, and again, you don't know when those days will come. You don't know when your phone will ring and it will be somebody on the other side that you have no idea why they're calling you in this situation, but it's because of the way that you, you, you lived out your life. It's because you didn't lord your authority over them or you, you cared enough about them to, to love them right where they were. Jesus says it's not about authority. It's about influence. Don't be like the Gentiles. Be like me. Jesus, now I, I know this is going to blow your mind, but he had no earthly authority when it came to the Romans or anyone else. He did because he was God, but you know what I'm saying? Like when Jesus showed up to the scene, they weren't like, whoa, here he is. You know, this guy's got all the authority in the world. He, he wasn't like that. He was a man. And they looked at him like he was a man. You're just a man. And I have more authority than you because positionally, where I sit in this kingdom is higher than you. Therefore, I'm better than you. That's how Jesus was looked at. 
And do you know that he never walked around going, I'm the son of God. I mean, I am God in the flesh. Bow down to me right now. Do it. Be nothing wrong with that. He's God. And yet he came to be a servant. He came to decrease, to lay himself out for you and I. <laughs> to, to be the servant of all. To be the example for us. Jesus was a servant and he's calling you and I to be servants. The key to kingdom greatness is sacrificial service. Jesus was the best example of that man. He came not to be served but to serve. He became a lowly servant to sinful humanity, to people who would be ungrateful to him for all that he would do. who would reject him, who would mock him, who would crucify him. And yet he would still love him and serve him, even on the cross, making intercession for you and I. Father, forgive them. Forgive Tim Romero for, for his actions, for the things that he's doing even now, Lord. Forgive him while I'm being crucified. I know I'm on the cross right now bleeding for his sin, but Father, even in the midst of his sin, forgive him right now. That's what he did for us. That's what true servantship looks like. Listen, it costs you something to serve people. It, it, it's not, you know, serve at your leisure. It's like give yourself up for it. That's why I love the song that we sang earlier, Revive Me. Spend your life serving other people. That's what Jesus did. And isn't your prayer, Lord, make me more like Jesus? You want to be more like Jesus, serve people, love people. Let people, let others be your world. Have nothing to do with yourself, but serve others. Yes, it is a difficult ascent to kingdom greatness. Yes, it will uh, be, there will be suffering that will be required. And yes, you will be treated like a servant and a slave. But in so doing, you will become like Jesus. So let us be the servants that he's calling us to be. Today, God is calling us to rise up, man. It's an exhortation to all of us, you know, that time is short. Jesus said, see, we're going to Jerusalem. He knew that time was short. And I believe he's telling us today, see, I'm coming back. I'm coming back shortly. So don't be found twiddling your thumbs, man. Serve other people so that you can be great, be the greatness that he's called you to be, to live out that kingdom principle, amen? Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for your goodness in our lives. And Lord, we thank you for serving us the way that you have. You continue to make intercession for us all the time. You love us so greatly. Lord, we're asking you to produce the same kind of love in our hearts and our lives right now that you have for us. Father, that we would see others the way that you see them. Oh, Lord, change our hearts. Change us that we might have a burden for those who are uh, lost, those who are struggling, those who are 
uh, found in the pit of despair, who are trying to fight their way up, but yet they continue to fail. Lord, would you help us today to be filled with empathy and compassion, Lord, for those around us? God, get the eyes off of us. Help us not to look to ourselves and what, what best suits us in the situation, but let us uh, be servants, which literally means that we should care about how something affects other people more than we care about how it affects us. Lord, we need your help in this area. Our flesh so desires to be served, so desires, Lord, to be comforted, and yet the Spirit says no. Starve out the flesh. Don't allow it to have any foothold in your life at all. And so, Lord, we can't do that on our own. We're being honest with you here today. We are unable in and of ourselves, Lord, to do this. We're asking you to fill us with your spirit today that we might step into the greatness that you created us for, to sit in the seat that you ordained from the foundation of the world. Father, although the, the road might be hard and there may be suffering that we incur along the way, God, but we would not get our eyes on ourselves and have a pity party along the way, but we would serve other people wholeheartedly. So, Lord, we're asking you today, fill us with your spirit. Make us more like Jesus. And we lift you up. We thank you, Lord. And we just want to, if there's anyone here this morning and you're not in relationship with Christ and you want relationship with him today, listen, it's, a re it's just abandoning yourself and you're saying, I, I want to trade Jesus' life for my life. And if that's you, you just tell him today, Father, forgive me for my sin. I recognize that I'm not where I should be, that I'm not perfect, but I want forgiveness today, Lord. I, I've transgressed against you. I've sinned against you, and I want to be forgiven for that. I want to be empowered to live the life that you're calling me to today. And so I want relationship with you. I believe Jesus died for me, that he rose again from the dead for me, and I'm accepting him as my Savior this morning. And my Lord, I'm crowning him giving him all authority over my life to do as you will. So I make Jesus my Lord and my Savior today in Jesus' name. And Father, for those here this morning that are maybe distant from you, that are saying, Lord, I need to get back to that place, that you hear their heart this morning, Lord. Your desire is for them to just turn away. It's repentance, really. It's just turning away from my sin and turning to you. And this morning, God, if there are any here this morning that are saying, hey, I need to turn away from my sin, God, I'm turning now. I'm asking you to forgive me, and I'm asking you for it to help me even. I might be in some difficult, uh, you know, clutches, and I need some help getting out of where I am today. I'm asking you to do that for me today because I want to live for you. You live for me, and I want to live for you, and so I want to come back to you today, and I'm crowning you, Lord, in my life again. You would revive me, and you would fill me with your spirit now. And, Lord, for the rest of us here today, that you would fill us with godly ambition. Father, to, to pursue those things that you're calling us to pursue and to let go of those things that don't matter. Lord, that we would, we would do all that we're called to do. And that doesn't mean quit our jobs and go to ministry, but for some it might. But, but Lord, what it means is that we do ministry everywhere we go. That we recognize that every place that you've planted us is our mission field. 
and that we step into the role that you've created us to be in that place. Lord, give us influence around those people, in, those, in the lives of those people around us, God, and help us to use that influence to your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, as we're going to close in this last song, if you'd like prayer, you can come up at the end of the song and we'll have some people up in front here to pray with you. But uh, let's stand and let's just worship, worship the Lord. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.